thanks for joining us, everyone, on another Labor History Talks. Happy Pride Month. Uh, that's why we're doing LGBTQ and labor history. Starting us off is going to be Avery Weir. Um, everyone here knows him, and uh, and also Nicole, who is also a regular contributor. So um, whenever you're ready, Avery, please. Great. Thanks, Victor. And I'm going to just do an introduction in an attempt to provide context for the inspiring stories that Nicole is going to bring. Working class people are sometimes viewed as the main enemies of LGBTQ people. This ignores the fact that most LGBTQ people are working class. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics counts 81% of the economically active population as, quote, non-supervisory employees, people who can be fired but can't fire anyone else, or working class. As is commonly noted in social justice circles today, trans women of color face job and housing discrimination, homelessness, and police violence on a massive scale. A 2012 Williams Institute study found that gay and bisexual men, who are sometimes dismissed as not really being oppressed or seen as part of the problem, actually make from 10 to 32% less in wages than straight men with the same qualifications. So with all of that oppression and discrimination, if 81% of the population are working class, and then presumably LGBTQ income of all kinds is below average, we can guess that the majority of LGBTQ people are working class. If LGBTQ people appear to be richer and whiter than the country as a whole, that may be because the richer and whiter you are, the easier it is to come out LGBT or Q and be visible, especially if you're not working class and can't be fired as easily. Healthy capitalism requires exploitation on average. For the average investment in production to make a profit, the average wage of the producers, the workers, must be lower than the value we produce, whether that's in goods or services, in order to keep us disempowered enough so that we are exploited on average. Capitalism oppresses workers for their race, gender, and sexuality, which pushes down oppressed workers' wages, in turn dragging down the wages of others. It also keeps us divided. Working class homophobia and transphobia, which is unfortunately all too real and all too common, serves the bosses in this way. But capitalism thrives off exploitation in the home as well, not just at work, because capitalists require a steady stream of young adult workers ready to hire year after year. Unpaid parenting labor provides this. Taxing corporations to pay for universal child care to provide collective laundry, housekeeping, and meals for all who would choose to access them, that is paying for the unpaid labor that keeps society going would massively cut into profits by eliminating one of the two main sources of exploited labor. 
That's why capitalism has an interest in maintaining the rigid gender division of labor inherited from our farming past with women expected to perform parenting and household labor for free. LGBTQ people, however, threaten those rigid traditional gender roles, liberating themselves from at least some aspects of those roles and setting an example of self-determination for all of us. The LGBTQ movement of the last 50 years has forced liberating changes in law and in consciousness, and often this has happened because of mass action in the streets led by working class LGBTQ people. The 1969 Stonewall riots against police raids on gay bars, unsurprisingly, featured the leading participation of black and brown trans people. The Stonewall Uprising led to the first wave of anti-discrimination protections in the country and became the anniversary date for today's Pride Marches. From 2008 through 2010, protests spread nationwide to demand the legalization of gay marriage. And some of us on this call, I'm not sure if Bob is here as well yet, but some of us on this call helped organize large protests and occupations of the marriage license office at the county administration building during those years. And I well remember the important support and solidarity shown by a few county workers inside the building. Today, capitalists are divided between woke progressive employers who, at least on paper, support rights and benefits for all their LGBTQ employees, and on the other hand, old-fashioned pro-Trump type employers who resist all court rulings and all laws against discrimination. But they're divided, but the profit system as a whole continues to benefit from LGBTQ workers' oppression in the form of lower wages and also benefit from unpaid labor supplying new generations of workers, which in turn depends on those rigid gender roles being accepted. Workers, unions, the labor movement, and even the left have also been divided, sometimes supporting the liberation and sometimes the oppression of our LGBTQ siblings. The 1917 Russian Revolution is a good example in which Workers' councils took over control of the factories and the government and then led the way with the first abolition in the world of all laws against homosexuality. Russia became the first country to recognize same-sex marriages and to allow sex reassignment surgery. And this was part of an attempt to end oppression based on gender overall in which neighborhoods were organized to collectively provide childcare, laundry, and cooking so that women could be freed from involuntary housework and participate just as fully in the running of their society as men. But, on the other hand, in 1930, Stalin made homosexuality once again illegal. In his eyes, it had to be illegal because the country had to industrialize rapidly. So the state had to start encouraging women to have lots of babies. Gender nonconformity. I'm sorry. Oh, okay, I'll keep going. That's all right. Um, gender nonconformity was a threat to the campaign for abundant motherhood. 
Therefore, he outlawed homosexuality. In the U.S., looking at the left's record here, the founder of the modern gay movement, Harry Hay, had learned his radical pro-worker, anti-racist politics as a member of the U.S. Communist Party. And that party played a leading role in the 1930s labor movement in which we won our greatest victories so far. But that same party, following Stalin, prohibited its own members from being gay. Harry Hay himself was pushed out of the party for that reason, though he remained personally a Marxist until he died, and he also went on to found the first gay rights organization in the U.S., the Mattachine Society, in 1950. All capitalists profit from LGBTQ oppression, whether or not they support it. But all workers suffer from the oppression of LGBTQ people, whether or not we support it. As workers, supporting liberation for oppressed people means being conscious of our own interests instead of being the stupid tools of our own oppressors. Our goal, therefore, should be to bring all workers and our organizations into the fight for liberation and full equality, recognizing the need to fight self-defeating bigotry in our own ranks to do so. And toward that end, I will now turn things over to Nicole for some examples of LGBTQ labor movement solidarity that we can build on. Great, thank you, Avery, for that introduction. So today I'll be sharing a few examples throughout history of LGBTQ solidarity in the context of the labor movement. In doing my research for this talk, I wasn't sure how many examples there would be, probably because many of us are traditionally taught LGBTQ history as isolated examples of fighting solely against discrimination or for marriage equality. And of course, those examples are crucial as well. But I was pleasantly surprised at how many examples of LGBTQ labor solidarity there were, which I realized once again was due to the lack of education we traditionally have on it, similar to how we're taught women's history, black history, etc. As we'll see here, much of what made LGBTQ movements successful also worked for struggles in labor and vice versa. So keeping that, so keeping that in mind, I'll highlight just a few examples for you today. As Desma Holcomb, longtime queer union activist and co-author with another activist and historian, Miriam Frank, of Pride at Work, Organizing for Lesbian and Gay Rights in Unions, a guide to LGBTQ organizing in the workplace, once put it, one of the principles that we developed as union queer people is that it's not just about identity politics, it's about bringing people together with common interests. The guide published in 1990 eventually led to the establishment of Pride at Work in 1994, an AFL-CIO affiliated nonprofit constituency group that still exists today. As one article explains, the group initially faced an uphill battle for recognition and resources within the broader organization, but was officially recognized in 1997 and now supports over 20 chapters across the US. Individual unions continue to work toward change as well. And just a special shout out and thanks to Avery and Leslie for some of their great uh, suggestions, ideas and resources for many of the um, things I'll be talking about in this, in this talk. So just to add to what Avery's, uh, Avery's background, I'm gonna give a little bit of context as well. So as most of you probably know, Pride Month today, like everything else, 
has been co-opted by corporations, often erasing the real struggles of, quote, fighting corporations, challenging workplace discrimination, and building unions. I've seen an example such as rainbow-colored beer bottles and soda cans, just to name a few. While the culture around many gay issues, particularly marriage, has shifted over the past few decades, there are still many issues today, particularly involving employment. This is especially true for trans and non-binary non people. Until recently, since the Supreme Court declared them protected by Title VII of, of the Civil Rights, uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964, and uh, recently the Biden administration passed an executive order reaffirming this, labor unions provided some of the only protections for LGBTQ workers. Nearly 30 states didn't have any protections at all. And it gets even more complicated when it comes to things like religious schools. And just like that, there's a longstanding gap uh, overall gap in pay between men and, I'm sorry, and just like there's a long-standing overall gap in pay between men and women, gay and trans people are also victims of unequal pay. The high unemployment rate for transgender and non-binary people is further compounded by other factors such as race, age, and national origin. Forms of discrimination against trans workers include privacy violations, refusal to hire, harassment, physical and sexual violence, misgendering, denying access to, uh, and denying access to appropriate bathrooms. This is even worse for trans workers of color. Unions have bargained recent contracts that include protections around pronouns, anti-harassment language, non-discrimination, health and safety, and expansive health benefits to include trans benefits, longtime labor organizer Arsenia Riley Collins explains. And they emphasize the importance of pri prioritizing the needs of queer workers, ensuring proper representation of queer workers and workers of color on bargaining teams, and elevating queer voices to leadership positions. It's important to note that much like racism and sexism, homophobia and transphobia have often been issues in the labor movement. It wasn't until as late as 1979 that the AFL-CIO openly expressed its support for gay rights by calling federal legislation banning workplace discrimination based on sexual orientation. LGBTQ caucuses were founded in many unions as thousands of gay members organized to protect their rights, Caleb Files, another union organizer, explains. He continues, from the early 90s until 2005, it could be said that it felt that LGBT rights weren't important to the AFL-CIO or its affiliated unions, failing to endorse marriage equality until 2005. Workers' rights and LGBTQ rights, we can't have solidarity unless we address all issues, Riley Collins rightly proclaims. As we've discussed many times before, and as we see once again here, issues, identities, and concerns are often interconnected. So now let's take a look at a few examples in history. So in the early 20th century, early to uh, about the 30s, um, I'm first gonna briefly mention the International Lady Garments Workers Union, the ILGWU. Um, the history of labor activism intersecting with the LGBTQ movement in the US goes back to at least the early 20th century. Organizers from the ILGWU often went up against the union leaders to support these workers. Additionally, Rose Schneiderman of Bread and Roses fame was the full-time working-class Jewish organizer of the National Women's Trade Union League, with her salary paid by a donation from a, quote, wealthy, anonymous Jewish lesbian. Um, in the 1930s and 40s, the Marine Cooks and Stewards Union accepted Black and gay workers long before many others did. They also elected an openly gay vice president whose partner helped organize San Francisco dock workers of the San Francisco dock worker strike in 1934 with Harry Hay, the communist gay rights activist that Avery mentioned earlier. The union is known for winning the first contract, including workplace protections for gay people in the US. They flew a banner proclaiming, 
quote, race baiting, red baiting, and queer baiting is anti-union in its union hall. As one queer labor historian explained of this significant moment in history, you couldn't be fired for anything except not doing your job. You had to violate something in the contract. So being gay was not a reason for being fired. So moving on to mid-century, by the 50s and 60s, the civil rights movement was gaining momentum. Civil rights activist Bayard Rustin, who was gay and black, led efforts to break color barriers in unions, including the AFL-CIO. He was also one of the organizers of the March on Washington in 1963, which, as we've mentioned before, was actually the full name, March for Jobs and Freedom. Labor was an important co component that is often left out of that history. But he often had to hide his sexuality or was sidelined or not given credit for his important work because of it. He correctly predicted that views on sexuality would be the next great civil rights societal issue, as we have seen in the last few decades. Uh, moving on to the 1970s, the 70s had a great deal of activity by the LGBTQ labor movement, a couple examples of which I'll go into more detail here. So in 1970, the American Federation of Teachers became the first federal labor union to make a public statement calling for an end to discrimination against LGBTQ workers. And in a more famous example, in San Francisco in 1977, the Teamsters Union joined with queer activists to boycott Coors Beer, which at the time was both anti-LGBTQ and anti-union, as well as racist and hiring practices. Local organizers like Howard Wallace, an openly gay truck driver, worked with Teamsters leadership and local distribution centers to ensure the boycott success. City supervisor Harvey Milk, who was one of the first openly gay elected officials in the US and was assassinated in 1978, supported the boycott before he was elected to that position. Following the campaign, Milk used his influence to encourage the Teamsters to hire openly gay truck drivers, as well as to defeat the Briggs Amendment, a California state ballot measure that would have banned gay and lesbian teachers from employment. So Harvey Milk, who you may know from the 2008 biopic on him starring Sean Penn, before his election to the Board of Supervisors led this effort. Um, so I'm going to show a brief clip um, depicting uh, this in the movie Milk. So it's about a minute long. Share my screen. Young kids, and it wasn't only the gays who noticed what was happening, also the straight people, and some very unexpected ones. Team's leader Alan Baird walked right into my shop and asked me if I could get my people to help boycott Coors Beer. And the Coors Beer boycott had not been too successful, but I got my people to get all the Coors Beer out of all the gay bars and immediately Coors fell from number one and they caved. A week later, the Teamsters Union, for the very first time, hired openly gay drivers. We weren't just a bunch of pansies anymore. We had had our first taste of power. And it was about that time that someone first called me mayor of Castro Street, or I may have invented the term myself. So as um, Sean Penn, as Harvey Milk explained, um, this was taking place in the Castro, which was developing as the kind of gay district of San Francisco at the time. So in exchange for a successful boycott, Milk made sure the Teamsters would hire more openly gay drivers and help defeat the Briggs Amendment, known as Prop 6, uh, which would have been uh, later helped defeat this amendment, which would have banned gays and lesbians from teaching California public schools. So for Milk, 
LGBTQ equality and fair treatment of workers seem to be related issues. He was not initially a quote, gay rights activist, though that's what he eventually became known for. He really started out as somebody fighting for just rights of business owners like himself. He and his partner owned a camera shop. Um, it wasn't until later that he really thought like, oh, I could really fight for gay rights as well. The uh, Milk wanted the gay community to have the same kind of leadership representing their interests as the black community had. And he often said, change starts with our street, which I think is very true. Um, it was union members along with the gay community, seniors and other marginalized members of the community that eventually helped Harvey Milk to finally get elected as the first openly gay member of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. He tried several times and failed, but never gave up. Um, the fight against Prop 6 banning gays and lesbians from working in California public schools is another worker issue, which shows his dedication to both the gay rights cause and the workers cause. And this was during a time of great anti-gay fervor from the evangelical right at the time in the, the late 1970s. Um, but tragically, as some of you probably know, he, along with San Francisco Mayor George Moscone, were assassinated by a fellow city supervisor who was staunchly against the more liberal policies they were enacting in the city. His support for gay rights and a symbol as a gay figure in politics is obviously important, but less mentioned is his support for all people who need more representation and, of course, his efforts with labor, all of which we see over and over again in history that mention identity only, leaving out economic and workers' issues when they should all be tied together. And Miriam Frank, the, um, the longtime activist who I mentioned earlier, ties an important thread between events here. She says, quote, I was living in San Francisco in 1981 and union activists in the hospitals were among the first to get involved in talking to the public about AIDS. Queer activists in the Castro, the gay neighborhood in San Francisco, had been at the center of the struggle against Coors. The Coors boycott was a real conduit to the development of AIDS activism. There were people with AIDS who had been involved with this beer boycott, people who were losing their lovers. It was all connected. So this is important to remember as we think about all of these events in history, how one thing can unexpectedly lead to another. So finally, my final example from the 80s, um, we have an example from the UK where the National Union of Mine Workers in a small mining community in South Wales went on strike against pit closures for several months in 1984 during the time of austerity of Margaret Thatcher. The LGBTQ support of minors in the UK in 1980s, uh, sorry, one second. Uh, so one, one um, union member wrote, Milton, the group to which I belonged at the time, considered gay rights a bourgeois concern and imagined that the workers would not be able to handle it. However, when I came out, it was only the party hacks who had strange reactions, while the working class people were quite easygoing. Ever since then, I do not accept the idea that workers are particularly homophobic, even though sometimes they say things more bluntly. So this story seems like it's out of a kind of feel-good made-up movie, but it is a true story. In December of 1984, a group called Lesbians and Gays Support the Minors, or LGSM, put together a benefit show called Pits and Perverts to support the minor strike that raised more than 6, 000, the equivalent of $6,000. LGSM came out of the previous summer's London Pride demonstration and raised money for the mining communities being starved by the government in an effort to force the miners back to work. This effort helped bring the labor and LGBTQ movements together and eventually led to unions in the country supporting LGBTQ rights, further illustrated in a film that was eventually made about this fascinating story. It's a 2014 film called Pride. And I will show just a few short clips from that to give you an idea of how it went down.
So this clip is when um, the two groups first meet. They had been in correspondence, but they had never actually met. Okay, and then the next short clip, um, this is later when um, one, the, one of the gay individuals that you saw um, is really just affirming his support for uh, the minors group. This clip where one of the older gentlemen, gentlemen from the miners group uh, expressed. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Um, this final clip here where one of the older gentlemen from the uh, miners group expresses his appreciation of the friendship between the two groups that nobody probably would have guessed would have happened. I'm going to invite somebody onto the stage now who wants to talk to you. And I want you to listen to him. He's a striking miner. And he has something he wants to say to you. I've had a lot of new experiences during the strike. Speaking in public, standing on a picket line. And now I'm in a 
gay bar. We don't like it and go home. As a matter of fact, I do like it. Beer's a bit expensive, Mike. But really, there's only one difference between this and a bar in South Wales. The women. They're a lot more feminine in here. <laughs> what I'd really like to say is thank you. If you've supported LGSM, then thank you. Because what you've given us is more than money. It's friendship. When you're in a battle against an enemy so much bigger, so much stronger than you, but to find out you had a friend, you never knew existed. Well, that's the best feeling in the world. So thank you. Okay. So, like the example of Harvey Milk and the Teamsters, this is yet another example of sort of strange bedfellows coming together to uh, work together on a larger issue, something that doesn't happen much today and probably could be learned from. So to tie all of these kind of random examples together, as we see through just these few examples throughout history, the struggle for LGBTQ acceptance in the labor movement has been a long and hard fought battle that'll probably never fully be finished. But we can clearly see how fighting for rights for such marginalized groups in the end benefits everyone. The progress made deserves to be celebrated, but as many have noted, nobody can afford to become complacent. So things like the importance of shared identities, even around issues as historically thorny as sexuality and gender identity, at the end of the day, as uh, Miriam Frank puts it, queer liberation is a labor issue. As with black and women's history, the more we see the struggles of marginalized groups as all of our history, particularly when it comes to labor, the better chance these struggles have to succeed. While these examples are a bit scattered, I really have just begun to scratch the surface. And there are many more, some of which I'll share in the resources page afterwards for you to explore on your own. But I hope they've provided just a sampling of the many ways LGBTQ workers demonstrated solidarity and that it encourages you to learn more. And that the next time you see a rainbow Bank of America logo or some other example of how watered down the LGBTQ uh, slash pride movement has become, you can remember the real examples of courage and solidarity that made it all possible and that unions have always been at the forefront of this progress. Thanks. <laughs>